Reese and Reynolds are sat in the cockpit of a plane as they record this podcast. This is Snakes on a Plane. Reese, I am tired of these motherfuckers. Chris, you can't say that line. This is a family-friendly show. Okay, well, I am tired of these Monday to Friday snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. Do you have experience with recording equipment? Yeah. Um, microphones, pop filters, cables. I've used all that stuff. Can you read me your sound levels, please? 11, Reese. This podcast goes up to 11. And is all your experience just film references? Yes, because you're listening to Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and Reese Davis Antibanyard. Yes, welcome to Bigger Pictures, the only podcast on the internet. Sorry, there's more to read there. <laughs> the only podcast on the internet that each episode compares two tangentially related films. Chris, I heard that there's apparently a proper way to talk when you're presenting a podcast. You have to project your voice by breathing from your Venn diaphragm. Oh dear heavens, this is this is still going on. I, I, I'm horrified. <laughs> well, it's here to stay now. This week we're talking about Snakes on the Plane. And we're also talking about Con Air. Two fantastic films... <laughs> The first film we're going to look at today is Snakes on the Plane. Now, before we, we sort of go into it, I think it's important to tell people the background to Snakes on the Plane. And basically, we've heard different versions of how it came about. So do you want to start and tell your version of what you heard of the origins of Snakes on a Plane? The, the two stories I've heard, the first one's um, a guy working in admin in this uh, university in America. He comes up with this concept based off a story heard that in World War II, snakes would climb into cockpits of fighter pilots. And he thought, that's a reasonable idea for a film. 20 years later, after he's like written it and sold it to a studio who then just never makes it, there's this working screenwriter who sits there and says to himself, what are the two biggest fears people have? Snakes and planes. I disagree. I think it's clowns and spiders, <laughs> which would make for a far more terrifying film. The third version I heard was that basically, while a bunch of Hollywood colleagues were getting absolutely trashed in a pub at an after-work happy hour, they basically sat around and tried to come up with the most awful pitch for a movie ever, and Craig Berenson won it with Snakes on a Plane, based on a script called Venom. And from what I understand, Venom is the script of the, the snakes in the World War II fighter jets. Yep, that's the one. But I must confess, I don't want to talk about Snakes on a Plane now, I want to talk about clown spiders. Clown spiders <laughs> sounds a great film. Like it's like Harry Potter. Like they go into the forest, but then they've just got clowns riding spiders. That's amazing. Just, I want to be sick. I, I think you've. I think you're wasted on this podcast, Reese. You should go and become a Hollywood movie exec. I'm. I'm picturing it's um the 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 forest in Harry Potter. Instead of being full of centaurs, it's full of half spiders, half clowns. <laughs> so it's, the, it's, the, it's Pennywise from it with the body of a tarantula. Oh. <laughs> It's a good job we mentioned that, though, because t the, the sort of discussion I, I wanted to have quickly today was to see whether we could come up with a, a worse or more more sort of horrifying uh, version of, of Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. Um, and we've sort of done it already, but we'll see how this goes. So for the benefit of listeners, what we've got is Reese has a, uh, a list of monsters or horrifying things. I've got a list of scenarios. Reese has a list of actors or actresses. And then I have a list of characters and we'll see what ends up coming together. I have a feeling nothing is going to be clown spiders in the Harry Potter forest, but we <sighs> never know. Oh my God. Tonight's nightmare featuring <laughs> clown spiders. Um, okay. So do I go first? So you read out your character. I'll read out the scenario. Okay. You read out an actor. I'll read out the, the character. So when you were pitching this to me, and I loved it straight away, the first thing you said to me was make sure it's an animal, monster or person who can be a villain or an antagonistic force, mm -hmm. not a concept. Yeah, yes. 
So, of course, the first one I wrote was capitalism. <laughs> I could make it a monster to, like, the spectre of capitalism, like the ghost of Christmas past. It's funny you mention that, because the, the scenario I've got is goes to the pub on Christmas Eve. So currently we have a, a film called The Spectre of Capitalism Goes to the Pub on Christmas Eve. It's a bit lengthy. Um, okay. Who stars in it, Reese? Noel Clark <laughs> As Maureen, the lonely housewife who just wants a satsuma for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Noel Clark's a good actor. I'm not quite sure he can pull that one off. Do you think he'd change his name to publicise this film to Noel Clark? <laughs> The next one is uh, the, the, the animal, the monster, is sharks. <laughs> uh, waits for the laundry to finish. <laughs> um, Sorry. So is this in, in just someone's kitchen? Yeah. Or have they gone to a laundrette, the last laundrette in England? The question is, there's, there's a laundrette around the corner from me. The question is, is the shark in the laundry machine or is it just sat in the kitchen, <laughs> like in a big tank of water? Reese, who stars in Sharks Waiting for the Laundry to Finish? Megan, Duchess of Sussex. As Pat, the friendly shop assistant, waiting for her husband to get out of jail for a crime he didn't commit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think this is... I think basically we, we're, we're lost on this. I think this one's promising. Megan eventually wins by putting the shark in the tumble dryer on a high heat, and then when it comes out, it's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on, next one then. Adam Sandler. <laughs> Has to queue too long at Waitrose. <laughs> <laughs> Starring... Adam Sandler. As Charlton, the composer of the theme from the kids' TV series, Arthur. <laughs> you know, as in, Arthur, hey, it's a wonderful kind of day. Yeah. And I think Adam Sandler could play that twisted genius really well. <laughs> okay, but he's in. he's queuing for too long in Waitrose. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole film. Okay. He just had, it's just him standing at a till, like pulling faces and, you know, overreacting and just queuing. That's it. That's the whole film. I've overthought this, haven't I? Uh, no, no, not at all. What are you talking about, Chris? This would be right at home on Netflix. Having come up with our excellent film titles, which I, I still maintain, uh, Clowns on Spiders in the Harry Potter Forest is the best one. <laughs> we, do, we do need to talk about Snakes on a Plane. Would you like to introduce it for us, Reese? Snakes on a Plane, directed by David R. Ellis, written uh, by John Heffman, Sebastian Gutierrez and David D'Alessandro. A gangster knows a witness is being flown across the country to testify against him. What's the easiest way to stop it? Flood the plane with killer snakes. FBI agent Samuel Jackson must save the day before they all go down in a blaze of scales and venom. So this is an absolutely ridiculous film, isn't it? <laughs> no. It's, no. It's a very, it's a very subtle, very heartfelt <laughs> and earnest drama <laughs> about a snake who just wants to be loved uh, and who ends up getting shot in the face. Uh, it's... In, in, I mean, in, you know, some people might think, why, if you're trying to stop a, a witness, is the best thing to flood a plane full of dangerous snakes? And at one point, they raise this with the, the gangster, Eddie Kim. And he, and this is a quote. He says, accidents happen. You'd think I didn't try every other option. And it's like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shoot him on the way to the airport. No, not going to happen. Yeah. Down the plane. No. Um, snakes on a plane? Yes. I, th I don't think the list was even that long. I think option one, ask the witness politely if he'd, if he'd mind dying uh, conveniently before the trial. The witness said no. <laughs> next option, flood a plane with snakes. It's, uh, yeah, next logical step. To be fair, Eddie Kim is quite like a scary bloke in this film. And, I, you know, 
like, is anyone going to sit down and go, are you sure you haven't got a better idea than flooding a plane full of danger? <laughs> and to, like, to get the snakes to actually become scary they have to cover a bunch of flowers in pheromones mm. that's the level of ridiculousness that has to happen for this film to work i mean it's not con air which we'll get on to in a minute but <laughs> it does result in uh, i think at one point someone says great snakes on crack uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, th- I think at some point they they just gave up and resigned themselves to the fact that this film is getting made purely because Samuel L. Jackson has attached himself to it. And when they were thinking of changing the name to something ridiculous like Flight 121, he said, the only reason I'm on this project is because it's called Snakes on a Plane. You need to keep the title. Yeah. And so just everything else fades into the background. Eddie Kim has like two minutes of screen time where we learn that A, he's a murderer and B, he's quite good at kickboxing. That's it. Those are the two <laughs> facts we learn about him. The witness in question is being transported across the country. I don't care what his name is. He has like a moment at the end where he tries to redeem himself from just being a part of the wallpaper. I don't think it particularly works. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's character. I hear he has a name. I don't care. It's Samuel L. Jackson. But, but this is the great thing is that they were like, Samuel L. Jackson's character is called Neville Flynn. I'm sorry. But no, he's not. I refuse to believe that. Yeah, there's no way he's called Neville. It's just Neville is the guy from Harry Potter. It's, it's just not happening. The guy who plays the main character is Nathaniel Phillips. Well, I think the main character is clearly Samuel L. Jackson. But yeah, <laughs> in any other film, in any other version of this movie, the main character would be the witness. Like, oh, it's... Uh, um, what I would say, so um, about 45 minutes in, there's a scene where the male flight attendant is attacked by a snake and he puts the snake mm-hmm. in the microwave and if you pause it at the right time, there's a preset <laughs> button for snake. <laughs> it's at that point where you realise that this film does not take itself seriously. The whole premise is utterly ridiculous and it wallows in it. It's not just wallowing in it, it it's basically a swamp full of ridiculousness and it's enjoying itself. <laughs> it's splashing about and getting mud on all the other films that are around it. The, the other thing and i know you've done this we we talked about this the other day if you do watch this film make sure you watch the music video at the end uh i can't remember what the title of it is but it's something something bracket snakes on a plane and the whole thing is about they hired this band called cobra starship and i think they they based it purely on the name I have a qu- big question for you. What is your favourite death on Snakes on a Plane? There's, there's a few easy answers, but I'll let you go first. Uh, well, my, my favourite is um, a man goes to the toilet yeah. and he, he, un- he unzips his fly <laughs> and he, he, he starts to, to do his thing. And a snake is crawling up through the toilet and it's getting peed on its head and it's, it's understandably annoyed. And this uh, toilet snake jumps up and bites the man's toilet snake. <laughs> <laughs> the best one, though, in my opinion, is where the British guy grabs uh, Mercedes' dog and throws it at one of the snakes. And they're like, that's horrifying. You just, like, <laughs> sacrifice this dog. And he's like, you would have done the same. And then suddenly the snake just comes up behind him and, like, like very slowly, like, yep. wraps itself around him and eats him. Yep. And then at the end of the movie, where the they blow a hole in the side of the plane, this big, I can't remember what it is now, boa constrictor or something, mm. flies out the plane, but still with that bloke in its mouth. So if you watch very carefully, he's clearly still there because that obviously makes the snake bigger. It's one that, I mean, some of the lines in it, are deliberately ridiculous. There's one bit where Samuel L. Jackson, like, oh, I went through a pyromaniac phase as a kid, one of the other characters <laughs> says, and it's just like, do you know what? Like, And then Samuel L. Jackson replies, huh, you too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the key thing to say about this film, though, um, I don't think it would work without Samuel L. Jackson. I think he drags it, kicking and screaming, into being a good film. You may disagree. He's, he's much better 
than every other actor in it. There are a few really good actors. <laughs> there are not. It's Samuel L. Jackson and the lady who's the the one that hosts Death. So like, I can't. Juliana Margills. That's the one. Is that her? Yeah, yeah. She, she's very good. But well, but everyone else is. Keenan Thompson from Keenan and Kel. Oh. He's in it and from SNL. He's one of the the bodyguards or the the hype men for Three Gs. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, Rachel Blanchard, who, who Rachel? I recognised from Peep Show. She played <laughs> Mercedes. Oh, really? And she's done um, a couple episodes of Flight of the Concords as well. <laughs> yeah, they're just like a, a few like surprisingly good actors, but blown away by Samuel Jackson, who was far better than he needed to be. There's a scene at the beginning where he's like interrogating the witness, and he just carries that scene. <laughs> it is bizarre to watch someone be that good in what's otherwise a really mediocre scene. I, I might be being a bit harsh. I mean, some of the other <laughs> cast are not great. Yes. Um, yeah. And a lot of them are just playing cliches. There's one person who's like, oh, I should have gone for early retirement. And it's like, oh, just just don't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this does have my favourite sort of reveal in it when they, they're they like, oh, yeah, Keenan from Keenan and Cal. I, I can't remember the character's name is. They say, oh, yeah, he's got over 2,000 hours flying experience. And you're like, really? And you're like, no, this is, there's going to be something here. And then it's like, yeah, playing the PlayStation 2. And he's like, ready to land the plane. It's like, all oh, right, excellent. I love his way of doing arrogant but surprised. At the same time, like when he's landing the plane, he's like super sure of himself, but also like terrified and surprised that anything's working out. And he balances those two really well. I, I think he's excellent in it. It's a bit where like he's talking to the rapper and the rapper's saying that if 3G's is saying that like Keenan was fat or he likes fat women or something, I can't what it is. And Keenan's like, yeah. he laughs and then he just stops, like as in <laughs> to say this isn't funny. And it's so well done. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I, I don't, I've not seen you in many other, many other films, but he is, he is very good in this. Oh, he's so funny. Speaking of people who are good in films, should we talk about Nicolas Cage in Con Air? <laughs> well, I thought you'd never ask Chris. Con Air is a 1997 film directed by Simon West, written by Scott Rosenberg. The plot is, a plane full of convict has been transported to a new supermax prison, but is taken over by America's most dangerous criminals. Nicolas Cage is going to put things right and still make it on time to his daughter's birthday. I mean... It's sort of the plot, isn't it? But it's not really, because the plot of this film is absolute garbage. I mean, don't be wrong, I enjoy this film, but the plot is not... Because we would spend all day talking about the plot. Basically, Nicolas Cage is going home, but he, in order for him to go home, he has to go on a plane full of super convicts who are going to super prison, which, rather than going direct to super prison, it's going to another prison first, then to go to super yep. prison... I'm assumed to release Cage on the way somewhere. Mm -hmm. But what actually happens is John Malkovich decides that the best thing for him to do is to plan an escape route with a prisoner in another prison. And they... You know, it was a lot more fun to watch than to listen to you recount. It's nonsense. It, it's just absolute garbage. It's the most ridiculous <laughs> plot ever. I think, I think one of the problems with the film is that it had a really strong concept. It had a lot of fantastic actors in it. And... The plot is just a series of set pieces which they have to justify getting between. Exactly. And they do not justify it. They just do not. <laughs> I think they do a good job of justifying it. If you can ignore the plot, which is quite possible because there are a lot of positives about this film, then it's fine. Well, let's list off some of the actors. There's Nicolas Cage. Yep. John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. Renoli Santiago from Hackers. Ving Raimi's Dave Chappelle. Mm. Steve Buscemi. Danny Trejo. And John Cusack. What's not to love? John Cusack doesn't like talking about this film because he thinks it's awful. <laughs> that's that's on IMDb. He doesn't talk about it. Well, that that's his that's his choice, and I accept it. 
Uh, I'm going to talk about this film. I love talking about this film. It's a lot of fun to watch. Nicolas Cage spent months in Alabama perfecting his Alabama accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, he sort he of He could have just, spent a bit longer there, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> he's like, school is very important. It's like he's doing Forrest Gump. And then he's got this mullet. And I don't know why he's got the mullet. And clearly at some point someone said, um, you know, like this mullet looks ridiculous. So at the end of the film, when he finally sees his wife, he says... Uh, a man who have a haircut. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? He's not awful, to be fair. In it. He's not like dire. I just, it's just Nicolas Cage. It's just Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. By comparison, though, Steve Buscemi is excellent as he is in absolutely everything, and there is absolutely no reason for him to be in this film. <laughs> he, he doesn't do anything. It's just there. He picks some weird films, doesn't he? So he's in a, quite a few Adam Sandler films, which I, I think is just an interesting choice. He's a really good actor. But, like, in this, like, he's a bit of a trump card. Like, we don't quite know what he's going to do. <laughs> and he sort of doesn't do anything. And I'm not quite sure what he's meant to represent. Well, he's just meant to be this creepy guy who you assume is going to do something creepy and weird, but doesn't. And that's sort of his redemptive arc. At the end, he's the only prisoner who manages to escape. Yeah, and uh, he ends up gambling in Las Vegas. Spoilers. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I I really like him in it, but like it is like I don't quite know why they they put him in because there's so much stuff going on. Well, and like he's set up as having he's as being a serial killer, and quite a weird one at that. Yeah. And then for him for him to get a happy ending is is an odd choice. Um, if I may talk just a bit about this excellent script, I I don't even like. <laughs> where to start with the script mm. it's largely written in cliches so there's a bit where someone turns to cyrus who's played by john malkovich who's in, in charge and the guy says have you lost your mind and he's like according to my latest psych evaluation yes and then there's a bit where <laughs> someone falls out the plane and lands on a car and then the police call it in and they're saying yeah we, we don't think he's an astronaut <laughs> then, um there's there's the fantastic the the sort of uh it's a bit where cage turns around to malkovich uh, Mal- because he pretend to be you know part of it and he says cyrus this is your barbecue and it tastes good but it is not the best line because the best line of course is put the bunny back in the box <laughs> someone is stealing Nicolas Cage's bunny that he's going to give to his daughter for God knows what reason. And then he kills him and he's like, you should have put the bunny back in the box. It's <laughs> just... Like, who wrote this? Well, I can tell you who wrote it, Chris. Scott Rosenberg, who also wrote High Fidelity and the new Venom film. I think I looked him up and he'd done something quite notable. So how he wrote this piece of um, Con Air, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Funny story, uh, the director of this, Simon West, you might know for Never Gonna Give You Up, <laughs> the Rick Astley music video. We talked a lot about music last week and there's lots of sort of rocky sort of power ballads in this for some reason. And I, I was thinking about it quite a lot in comparing it with Jaws. Jaws as a movie is not ham-fisted, whereas this is not only ham-fisted, it's also ham-footed as well, because <laughs> uh, it's just so clunky and over-the-top and ridiculous. See, yeah, I, I agree that it's over-the-top and ridiculous, but not clunky. So the, the, the Supermaxis on the plane, their whole plot to escape is being masterminded by a South American drug lord, yeah. who we never see. We might have heard their name once or twice, but it's honestly not that important. And I think that's really interesting. That's like a really nice little background detail, which kind of makes the story go more smoothly. 
And that's, I think that's a good piece of writing. It's, um, it's a lot more interesting than Snakes on a Plane, yeah. which feels like it has to reveal its gang lord right at the beginning. Kind of this movie's Eddie Kim is in the background. You don't really think about it too much. Snakes on a Plane is basically, there's some people on a plane with some snakes and that's, and, and, and with Samuel L. Jackson. That's all they need, all it needs to do. And it does it really well. We see, by comparison, this film, basically all it's meant to be is Nicolas Cage on a plane with some bad guys in charge and someone is chasing him. That That's all it needs to be. But it, it's so overcomplicated that it doesn't, it, it sort of achieves that, but they, there's too many different elements. Both of these films, they have this ridiculous high concept, but they also need to kind of get there with a reasonable amount of logic. There's like, there's a... <laughs> There's a fairly low bar that they have to jump over. They get away with it just, but I think it is quite close. Okay, so so why is Nicolas Cage on that plane in the first place? Exactly. Well, I can tell you, it's because he was arrested. He was arrested when he was on leave from his post in the uh, US Army Rangers. He goes home to pick up his wife from work, and in the car park of the bar she works in, he gets approached by three guys. One of them pulls a knife on him. He breaks the guy's nose, splintering it up into the guy's brain, and the guy dies, and he goes to prison for manslaughter. Not for defending himself, but then it's like, oh yeah, because of course no. he just... Well, he admits to manslaughter. His lawyer says, you get a couple of years maybe but it's better than being found guilty. He admits to it, and then the judge gives him like five to seven years, something like that. The beginning of this film is all about beating up Nicolas Cage's character, who's not portrayed as the smartest, but loyal to a fault. You know, there's just, there's a lot of subtlety bubbling away in this film, which I don't think you're giving it credit for. <laughs> what? What subtlety? There, there is bombasticness. There, there is no there subtlety. Is, there is a Brian Blessed level of uh, enthusiasm in this film at, in, at every point, but... There is subtlety in the character motivations. The lighting is gorgeous. Okay. Take a moment to appreciate how good it looks compared to Snakes on a Plane. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention two quick things to you. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll, then I'll be quiet. First of all, I'm going to give you a quote, which is the bit where Steve Buscemi gets on the plane. Yeah. And um, one of the guys turns to Nicolas Cage and says, what's wrong with him? And Cage answers, my first thought, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that line? And the second bit is, with music such as How Do I Live Without You by Leanne Rhymes at the start, and God knows what the, the rest of the music in this is, comparing the music in Con Air with Jaws is like comparing Barney the Dinosaur with Jurassic Park. And that's how I feel about this film. <laughs> I like Barney the Dinosaur, I like Jurassic Park, but they are two very different things. One of them is much more accomplished than the other, and this is definitely a Barney the Dinosaur. Well, look, to give you a reason to appreciate both of these films slightly more, I think it's not a coincidence that they rely on like this um, underlying kind of criminality to them. Mm. You know, the, the, both plots are kind of set in motion by violence of some sort. And, you know, there's the, the kind of the background uh, baddie of the, the gang lord. I think in order to get from your daily life, sat at home watching this film, to a place where you're watching these ridiculous events take place, they need to move you out of your comfort zone. And the way they're doing that is by introducing violence and gangs. It's not just right at the beginning of the film, it's also kind of seeping through in the background constantly. Yeah. Because the passengers of Flight 121 in Snakes on a Plane, are all dragged into this life and death situation as well. And in Con Air, everyone who comes into contact with this plane full of prisoners is kind of at risk in some way, who has their life disrupted. And that's not just the kind of prison guards and the state police. It's also when there's a middle-class couple kind of driving around in their boring little car, <laughs> when Nicolas Cage drops the body of another prisoner out of the plane to kind of send a message. Yeah, And it lands on the bonnet of their car, and that's when... There's that line that you brought up before where the police say, well, we don't think he's an astronaut. Uh, it's, it's this constant thing where, the, uh, where public life is bulldozed by these ridiculous criminals. 
and their antics. It culminates in Conair when they have to land the plane in the Las Vegas Strip and they, they crash into a casino. And I think that's it's something that they're not given credit for these films. They are ridiculous, they are over the top, but there has been a lot of thought put into them, into making them just believable enough while also being obviously not taking place in the same sort of reality that your, you know, our lives take place in. Let's be honest, though, neither of them have clowns on giant spiders. <laughs> and that, I think, is what they both sorely miss. Um, on oh, which I note, Chris, I think we uh. have to bring this podcast to an end. J- just this episode, not the whole series, because I mean, we're never going to better clowns on giant spiders. But, you know... You mentioned you mentioned last week about T-shirts, or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Uh, you mentioned about T-shirts and seeing if anyone would like a T-shirt. Please do get in touch if you'd like one. Peter Holdsworth has, has got in touch to say he would like one, and uh, I want one. I, but I now want one with a giant spider and a clown on it instead. As long as you never wear it around me, I'll be, I'll be okay with that. So we'll have to compromise. We'll just say bigger clown spiders. It'd be fine. You can design it, you can wear it, just... Don't be part of my life while you do. I don't, I don't need to see that. Have you ever seen me? Have you ever seen me draw anything? It's going to be a stick clown and a stick spider, <laughs> and it would just be lots of lines. Well, it would be lots of be lines okay, and some circles. I can live with that, like a Venn diagram. <laughs> as long as the Venn diagram's in there, keep it on brand. Um, if you do want to get in touch, you can get in touch with me at History Reynolds on Twitter or at Reese DS on Twitter or in Instagram. Yeah, like um, literally or, anywhere. Just Google at Reese DS. You'll probably find me. Yeah, or you can... just a multitude of ways. I don't know them all, but those are the sort of easiest ones, I think. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones I remember every week. And you're welcome to send us giant clowns... No, giant spiders on clowns. Giant clowns and spiders. No, this is getting worse by the minute. Send Chris your clown-spider hybrids. Don't send them to me. I don't need to see that. <laughs> um, and and have a nice week, and, and hopefully you won't get any terrible dreams about... Um, about that <laughs> bye <laughs> bye oh uh, i love uh, i love the the stephen toast yes yes um i would i again when rose and i get married i'm so tempted when they say do you take this woman to be your wife I am Stephen Toast. Anyway.